You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Today I want to speak to you about the field of your heart. I want to use the word picture of a field to describe how our hearts are likened to, to a place where seeds are planted uh, that yield different types of plants and trees and all, all kinds of different fruit that can come. If your heart is well gardened, you'll produce good fruit. Yet if your heart is not well gardened, uh, it's going to produce bad fruit. Some of our hearts in this room are barren and unfruitful and it needs replacing. While some of our hearts, they're affected by an abundance of weeds and thorns and thistles, and others of us are producing great fruit. I want you to consider some of the things I have to say to you, say to you today. My name is Conrad Davies, and uh, I lead in a number of capacities. The Sarah mentioned a few of them, so where I'm a husband, a father, educator, entrepreneur, I, I lead ministry, I do some mentorships, uh, consultant, coach, on and on and on and on and on. There's a lot, a lot about me, but today I just want to minimize who I am, and we want to, we're going to glorify Jesus here. As we begin, um, I want to first identify a significant problem. Uh, yet there's a solution to the problem, and although our hearts are have been affected by this problem, the good news is that there is a process of overcoming this problem. So let me, let me start with the biblical story. I want to start with the biblical story. Um, so God created the heavens and the earth with emptiness, voidness, chaos, disruption, confusion, disorder, shapelessness. If you know the scripture, it's, the Spirit of the Lord was like a, he was hovering over this, I call it like a water ball. If you read closely in the scripture, a ball of water that was void, shapeless, formless, empty. And he was just hovering over this water ball. There was an unreality, there was obscurity, there was darkness. There's nothing, nothing there, right? There's an undistinguishable ruin. Then he spoke. He spoke everything into existence. And he did it with order, and he did it with functionality. Consider day one, we see light and darkness. Day two, we see skies and water. Day three, we see plants and trees and with seeds. Day four, we see the sun and the moon. Day five, we see fish and birds, creeping things. And he blessed, the, he blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Day six, we see the animals. Day six, we also see us humans. He blesses us, commissions us. And day seven, he rested. He rested. And at the end of each day, what was interesting, at the end of each day that he fashioned he called it good. Or another way you can look at good is he called it is functional. Functional. So consider this for a second. Functional. Oftentimes in our Greek mind, we think of good as it's abstract. Is this good or is this evil or is this evil good? It's abstract. But when we think about it in the context of saying functional or dysfunctional, we can see good and evil a little bit differently. God saw it functional. He created order. He created order. And then, of course, on the last day he rested, and he says, it's very good. Genesis 1.31, it's very good. Functional, it's fully according to his design. It's almost like, here's the Conrad version. It's like, he's like, this is my so intended uh, function. I'm so proud of what I created. It's just, it looked good. It looked real good. It looked real, real good. 
Y'all, y'all got to vibe with me for a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit, all right? All right, well, but then there's a shift. So it went from disorder, emptiness, voidness, chaos, disruption, indistinguishable ruin, to now order, seven days, and then back to disorder. Well, what happened is, here's the reality. You want to talk about answers to the problems of what we have in humanity? Humans messed it up. Y'all know the story generally, right? But let's really, um, you can see on the slide, you can study humans mess this up. So too often our culture will point it at God and say, it's your fault. Why did you let this happen? But the reality is, is that we did it. Humans messed it up. We disobeyed God's original intentions because we welcomed another voice who's God's adversary to deceive us into thinking that we were missing out on something. He already created it functional. He already created the way he was designed to be, who, how we were designed to be created, but it, it, we messed it up. And so humans, we welcomed in evil, we welcomed in the dysfunction, and we now have to manage this knowledge of function and dysfunction, or good and evil is what we see in our English translation, but we, we, we now have to manage function and dysfunction. Think about it. If we're trying to manage ourselves in some of the portions of dysfunction we have, think about trying to manage all humanity's dysfunction. That's a lot to manage. We don't have that capacity. Um, so since we made this human decision and we've now welcomed dysfunction or sin or iniquity or transgression and rebellion and all these different things, um, along with unrighteousness, it's our fault as humans that we have these problems. It's our fault. And popular culture may not tell us that, but the reality is it's our fault. It's our fault. And simple, this concept of entropy, some of you have heard that in science classes, um, it's this idea of a state of disorder, randomness, and uncertainty. It entered the world through human sin, and now we have chaos, decay, we've got destruction, we have death, and we have dysfunction. But our most, and so in essence, our most pressing problem in humanity is sin. Sin. Not all the manifestations of sin. We're looking at abortion. We're looking at all these issues that the culture kind of has brought highlight. The core reality is that, no, it's sin. That's the most pressing problem, sin. So we tend to discuss all the manifestations of sin instead of the core issue. And so sin has so affected the human heart, and that has fundamentally marred our human heart from the original intention of God. So God said it this way. Here's how, how it's said in Genesis when we read it this way. It says that the Lord saw the great wickedness of humanity had become on the earth. And every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. If we are honest with ourselves, if you, if you and I really think about it, <laughs> we got some wicked stuff that goes through our heart all the time. We don't put it, we don't put it on, a, it's not like it's on a screen being shown and everyone's seeing the thoughts of our hearts like you see on the screen here. But if, if we really were to show our stuff on the screen, this is a true scripture. Dysfunction is just coursing through us all the time. And so the Lord regretted that, all, that he had made human, human beings and his heart was deeply troubled. And so as a creator, you have to think about this. You've created things, Right. Say you were writing something, and at the end of that writing, you're like, oh, it's just not good enough. So you maybe crumpled it up, deleted it, whatever, got rid of it. Well, God had a choice to restore or destroy what he created. Or how about just restarting? Or maybe, maybe the thought of deciding, okay, we'll just allow it to happen. We'll just let the things continue as they are. We'll just kind of remain in the condition that it's just in. We'll just leave it alone. Maybe it'll work itself out. Or redeem it. Or he could have just left humanity alone. 
He has that right as a creator. You've done the same thing when, as a creator. You had to make some decisions. What are you going to do with something that's dysfunctional? Um, we used to call it, we call it so today, I don't know if y'all call it bootleg. We just bootlegged it sometimes. It's like, oh, let's just bootleg it. It's, that's what we'll do, we'll bootleg it. Well, but see, here's the thing. God has, many of you know the story, he finds a righteous man, tells him to build an ark to save his family and animals. God decides to send a flood. And God's decision, he says, you know, I'm going to go back to the water ball. Started with the water ball that he fashioned. And then he said, I'm going to go back to the water ball. But this time, of course, we've got one man and his family on an ark floating and waiting for the waters to recede, of course. After the flood ended, um, and after smelling Noah's sacrifice, and this is all in Genesis chapter 8, God says in his heart, hear this, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Notice who the focal point of the fault is, and I want to kind of emphasize this on purpose. Never again because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, never again will I destroy all living creatures as I've done. So God in his justness, how just he is, he had to act. He's just. Now, if somebody did something to your cousin, your aunt and uncle, and the judge said, oh, that's all right, let it be. You'd be angry because of the injustice happening against that, your family member. You'd be angry. So God is just showing his justice. Humanity messed it up, and he's just showing his just nature. So God promises a rainbow to remind us of the covenant he made with humanity and that he won't wipe out the planet again. So the core reason of all of this to happen is, again, because of sin. Nothing else, nothing more. It's sin. Sin did it. Sin did it. Since sin is present in our hearts, for us, we have to master sin. We have to turn from it. We have to contend with this thing called sin. We have to put it to death. We've got to deal with it as a part of our nature and run from it. And it's not a fun journey. It ain't fun at all. Hopefully, if you have other human beings in the room, it's not fun. It ain't fun. And all of this happens primarily inside the human heart, having to deal with this thing called sin. So our hearts have been saturated with sin. Some of you grew up, you grew up hearing this all your life. You know what I'm talking about, right? Don't tune off on me now. Don't tune off on me. Because I know you've heard the message over and over and over again. But my sense today was really to talk to you about the core of this. This is all in the human heart. So here's, here's, here's the solution. Here's the solution. Since our core problem is sin, God has to be the one to bring the solution. Now, humanity, we just, we just can't fix the problem. We've contended with this thing our whole existence. We cannot fix this problem because we don't have the capacity to reverse the death process that sin produces. Remember that scripture in Romans 6.23 um, that says, for the wages or the cost of sin is death? So on sin inherently is a death process. And we don't have the fundamental capacity to change the death process. And so the gift of God is eternal life, to be with him and to him, he alone can reverse the death process. And so we inherently don't have the ability to fix sin. So we, again, we have to master it, contend with it, turn from it, put it to death, deal with it, or run from it. And so God had to pay the penalty through Jesus coming as a human. And Jesus had to live the sinless life based on God's requirements that he required to deal with sin. And Jesus had to become the blameless, sinless, pure lamb that was sacrificed so that sin can be dealt with. So there's a solution. It's already been fixed. 
And you remember that scripture in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one person in this room, including myself, could fix the problem. Not one of us, obviously. There's a one that, only one that could. Only one that could. And even in Hebrews, the, 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 the writer says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So to think even that God's people, this, this way of having redemption of sin, or at least being back to coming back to God, was through this blood of bulls and goats and just giving them an atonement for a temporary atonement. So since God fixed the problem himself through Jesus, it makes the gospel of Jesus Christ the epitome of all ideologies in all philosophies that fixes the problems with humanity. Let me say that again one more time. Because our culture will tell us, all these other voices of culture will tell us so many other things will fix problems, the human's problem. But consider this. Because God fixed the sin problem through, the, through Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the epitome of all ideologies and philosophies that fixes the problems with humanity. The gospel's enough. The gospel is enough. Nothing else fixes the problems of humanity except the gospel. Other things may break off branches off of the trees that have been planted in yours and my hearts. We, can, we have a tendency to pluck leaves. We like to pluck leaves, break branches and pluck leaves, and even chop some of the tree trunk in this kind of field of the heart, the word picture I want to use. Um, human philosophy, scientific discovery, some of these moralistic ideas, more relativism, on and on and on. All of those things, you know, it, it sounds good, looks good, breaking branches, plucking leaves. It's not dealing with the real issue. It's not dealing, however, the only, thing that, actually, the only thing that actually uproots the trees that's planted in your heart, consider any kind of experiences that you had that you know is wedged in your heart. And to this day, you're still eating the fruit of something that happened at five years old, six years old, seven years old. There's only one thing that can actually uproot that. It's the gospel. Period. Your psychologists and counselor love them. They're graced by God to do neat things in your life. But they cannot uproot that seed that was planted in your garden. Nothing else on the planet has the capacity to, miraculous change, to miraculously change the human heart and give you a brand new heart, or even use my word picture of the field, to give you a new garden. Nothing else can give you a new garden of your heart. God alone, through Jesus Christ, does the heart transplant surgery. And he does it in humans. And he, what he does is he changes the core of your very being. Talk about wanting to be new. And this is why I said some of us are barren and unfruitful. Some of us got a whole bunch of weeds and thorns and thistles, while others of us, you have a fruitful heart. And hopefully you're following the word picture a little bit, the garden of the heart, the field of the heart. There's a reality is that we need a new garden. All of us. If you don't already have a new garden, today may be a starting day where you say, Lord, I need a new garden. I know I need a new garden. Because I know that there's all these things that are bubbling up in my heart, and I would admit, I'm, there's, there's evil only continuously coursing through the field of, my garden, field of my heart that I need a new heart. And so, you may be asking me, okay, okay, make sure I'm following you, Conrad, on all this concept of this, how this connects to the heart. Because I've titled it, The Field of the Heart. And we're talking about heart holiness, and you guys have been talking through heart holiness, or just, just, just talk about heart holiness. Good question, good question. <clears throat> This is today's topic, and you've heard me kind of speak the gospel, talk about the problem. But today's topic, I want to kind of bring to your attention how the heart really is the centerpiece 
of where all of the activity of sin takes place. So everything in your life, and you'll see some scriptures here in a minute, really is coming out of the heart, this garden. It's coming out of the garden. It's in the heart that you believe, you reflect, you remember, you will, you purpose, you are motivated, you sense, you speak, you desire. It's all coming out of your heart. It's all coming out of your heart. I mean, let me show you just a little bit here on the, on the, on the screen. So Gesenius, uh, he's, he's got a Hebrew concordance for the Hebrew word for heart is levav or lev, lev, levav. And you can, as you can see on the screen, look from a Hebrew construct. This is the heart from a Hebrew construct, the word lev levav. In other words, it's not like Greek has some similar, which we'll, I'll show you here in just a minute, but the lev levav really shows us, we see our conscience, our will, our character, our thinking, our reflections, our appetites, our desires. Literally everything about you is coming out of your heart. Everything about you is coming out of the heart. So your heart literally is the, call it the central administration of your life. Let me show you Thayer's. Here's Thayer's uh, concordance, which is Greek. The Greek word cardia, where we get the word cardi cardiology, cardia, cardia. Here's Thayer's concordance of the Greek word cardia. Very similar constructs. The soul, the mind, the seat of your intelligence. Your intellect is this ability to know, this, the knowing. So every time you're learning something, it is seeding in your heart, planting in your heart. In other words, as I, share, I teach a communication course at UK, and there's this uh, construct called uh, cognitive processing, where M. Griffin, in his work, he does a lot of work, uh, he, he brings together a lot of communication theory. And M. Griffin, cre uh, there's this uh, concept called cognitive processing. And there's this five-stage model. In the five-stage cognitive processing model, it talks about, and I'm going to use this in context of a word pick of uh, the field, that everything comes in from our senses, the five natural senses. So you learn things by how you, what you see, what you hear, what you taste, what you touch, what you feel. It's all, that's the deposit place. Those are the seeds. I would even say, submit to you, there's a sixth sense that you're, there's spiritual things that you can pick up. So there's these seeds that deposit. Then there's meaning that gets attached, which is the second phase. It stores. Then there's retrieval processes you go through, and then there's output. So sometimes we're looking at the output, which is stage five. We're looking at the manifestation of the fruit, the branches, all the leaves, all that stuff. But they came from a seed. And also notice, seeds look very different than the plants. And so sometimes some of us, and scientists don't do this well, we don't always know the seed and what the seed looked like. And so we're having to go back to try to speculate what the potential seed was because we don't actually know the seed. And seeds can come from so many different things in our lives that it's in a different form because it's manifested. So we'd rather deal with the branches. We'd rather deal with the fruit because it looks easier because it's present. So the reason I'm sharing that is some of the seeds of things that have happened in our lives, and the heart is so complex that there's seeds that we don't even recognize. And we try to go back and speculate and we figure out that we don't really know. And so then we start to kind of make up stuff. And if we're in an atheistic framework, we kind of, kind of, we can go any direction we want to to make up that seed and call it whatever we want to call it. But if we're in a theist framework or a God-centered framework, we recognize that there's a function that God created. And so certain seeds produce after their kind. Certain things produce certain things. And so we can actually go back and God can give us insight to seeds that have been planted in our hearts. And we can go deal with the seed or uproot the seed or he can fundamentally change our hearts and change the things that are in us that have been off. 
That's the beauty of knowing him and having a theist framework or God-centered framework because it helps us to realize that, oh, you have a certain specific design. And so there's certain ways that the field of the heart works. So now, transitioning, I'm starting landing this plane. Let me show you just a few quick scriptures. First of all, the heart is messy and complex. It is messy and complex. I'll just keep it that way. The heart is so big. It's the field is big. It's got all kinds of plants and stuff in it all over. It's just messy and complex. I'll leave it. There. It's deceitful. That's what the scripture tells us. Furthermore, the heart is inherently evil. It's evil inherently because of what happened at, uh, at uh, the very beginning. Because humans messed it up. It's inherently evil. And so there's this framework set that says, did we start good and then have become no? We started evil. We started evil. According to Scripture, you take a biblical framework, we started evil. And that's kind of hard. And so we see this, we see, I've already read that Scripture. Then, further, as you transition, um, the heart needs replacing. Because it's inherently evil, there's things that God wants to plant inside of us that He can't unless it's replaced. He can't plant it unless it's replaced. And so some of us, if we don't go through a heart transplant, we're going to find ourselves wanting to get closer to the Father, wanting to get these things from God, wanting new things to happen. You can't stop the cussing and the drinking and the other stuff. You can't stop it because your heart's still the same heart it was before. It's inherently evil. So you're trying to do something out of your effort or trying to garden something in you that you can't inherently change because the fundamentals of notice— if a seed doesn't go in the soil, it doesn't grow. So I can, I, I'm a gardener, so I've got seeds in my cabinet that, that nothing has happened to those seeds. They just sit in the package. And some of them are old, like three, four years old, unfortunately. But they don't, nothing happens to those seeds. But there's something that happens when I take that seed and I finally put it in the soil. Even if it's years old. It's crazy. It's amazing. You talk about the miracle and the power of that. Because that's their design that he made. And so in the same way, what I'm getting at is, if the, the, but yet if the, um, if, the, if the heart or the soil is not good soil, then it's not going to produce fruit. So it's, it needs replacing. It needs replacing. In Ezekiel, you see kind of what Ezekiel said about the needing of replacing. The heart also is deep. It's real deep. And I love Solomon's words. And he says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Your, your heart, the purpose, something, if you were, what's my purpose? What's my calling? God, what have you called me to? That's a deep question. That's a big question. You're asking a really, really big question. And because it's like deep waters. And it says a man of understanding can draw it out. One with insight and skill, one that will take the time to go on that journey, can draw it out. The heart has foul things that come out of it. You know, Jesus was talking, um, talking to a few folks, and again, Conrad version is coming out here. Um, I, I do know the scriptures word for it. I know those portions, but bear with the Conrad version. He's like, look, how, how in the world? Uh, they were saying, well, the, what your disciples are eating is bad. It's like, well, you know what? It's not really what goes inside. What goes inside goes in and eventually comes out. God has built a system that helps us things to go in and then come out. It's beautiful how God does that, right? But Jesus is like, it ain't what goes in and comes out. It's the fact is, is what's coming out of your heart is what really defiles a person. And you see the list here that it's, and we can all relate to this at some level. We all have brokenness. So it's not super Christians don't deal with that. And then the bad Christians do deal with that. And the non-believers deal with it. No, we all deal with this stuff that we see on the screen that comes out of the heart. That's coming out of the ground of the field of your heart. That's the stuff that's foul. That's the stuff that God is responding to. It ain't, it's not all this 
other things that we intend to emphasize. As in, you see the, uh, hopefully you're seeing the theme of this, the heart produces fruit. It produces fruit. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. When I'm doing consulting and counseling and uh, working with students or professionals of various different levels and executives, what's always interesting is that um, the time I spend just listening, because all I'm doing is surveying the field and the ground. Because if someone's asking for insights or about or whatever it may be, I'll, let me survey the ground for a little bit. Just give me a few moments. I'll be able to see what's in the field of their hearts and say, oh, okay, well, based on the field of the heart, these are some suggestions, recommendations, things we can talk through, whatever else. But it's not too hard. Give people a few minutes. You'll really see what's inside their hearts. You'll really see. The heart, furthermore, the heart uh, really shows who a person really is. You, you talk about um, identity. Notice how Solomon says it this way. He says, as water... As in water, the face reflects face, so the heart reflects a man or woman, of course, the human. Your real identity is really what's inside of you. Put on the face all you want to, friends. I did it most of my life. I was want to be this, want to be that, trying to fit in this, trying to fit in that. Keep in mind, some of you don't, you don't know the story, but my parents are, are immigrants from a small country called Sierra Leone in Western Africa. Come, being born in the United States was, was challenging because there was this thing, okay, am I Sierra Leonean? Am I black American? Am I white American? Because I'm in white American communities. And I was just wrestling with identity. So I'm trying to fit in here. I was a soccer player. I played soccer at Western Kentucky University. I mean, I just, I just, I did a lot. I was in, I was in chemistry. I've got a chemistry degree and with a master's in communication studies. And I'm finishing my doctorate in education leadership. And, and people are like, are you confused? Chemistry, communication, now education. You talk about, that's called a journey of trying to figure out what in the world, who in the world am I? That's what you, what you see. And, but the beauty is this. I say this because I've seen how the Father has anchored my life and brought identity, but it was all a heart work. Because there's so many. My dad's a chemist. My sister's a chemist. My brother's a chemist. And so there's so much that said, you're supposed to be this. But that wasn't the best fit for me because that wasn't God's best for me. Though I could do it. I have the ability. Some of you that may speak to you because you're maybe majoring in something and that may not be the best for you. But the only one who designed you with certain function, with certain characteristics and principles or ways about you, he alone is the only one that can determine how you function in your maximum capacity because he built you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He's the one who knows the depth and the nuances of who you are and the quirks of your personality. So here I am confused. So as God did a heart work in me, it's been amazing how I'm now walking in my function more than ever before in my life. And that's been beautiful. It's been so free. If I had time on more to that, I would share more. The last two things um, in, term, in this portion. The heart must be, should be protected protected. Solomon says in another way, he says, keep your heart with all vigilance. And the one translation says this, guard your heart for out of it flows the issues of life. Guard your heart, out of it flows the issues of life. And so again, that's just the scriptures reinforcing the fact of central administration for your life is your heart. That's why this is important, some of the things I'm talking through today. Um, almost done here. Y'all stay with me. Stay with me. Those that are falling asleep, I need you to start waking up. Wake up. Listen to me. This is serious. Because the reality of you protecting your heart is one of the most important things you can do on the planet. 
is protect and guard your heart. Put your fence, putting fences around your heart and things I'm about to share with you here in a moment, especially with the Word of God, is going to help the beauty of your heart be getting stabilized for the rest of your days. And we're going to talk through that. Here we go. Last one in terms of these scriptures. The heart can be pursued. And this is what's beautiful. I love the, the prophet Samuel's words, what the Lord spoke to him, that the Lord sought a man after God's heart. And the Lord commanded him to be a prince. Some of you, here's the reality. There is much more I can say about the human heart, but here's what I know. Because I know the father well enough. And some of you know the same, you know, you know my daddy too. You know our daddy. Um, is that God could be pursuing some of your hearts here today. And he actually may be wanting to change your heart and guard in your heart to show you things about who you are that you may be missing because of having a stony and unresponsive heart towards him. You know church, you know tradition, you know mom and dad's religion. You know the things that, that, that has been, uh, that what you're supposed to do. You know how to live the right moral life. You know morality. But actually knowing a changed heart in the gardener of your soul. And again, I need you all listening to me. I can feel the authority of the Holy Spirit coming over me now. I need you listening. If you're tired, I need you to wake up. Because the reality is, is that your heart and gardening your heart is the most important thing um, that you can do on the planet right now. And God, God is the good, excuse me, the God, letting God guard in your heart and you doing your part, protecting it, you know, watering it, nourishing it is important. But letting the Father change, if there are stony hearts in the room, letting him change that stony heart and giving you a new field. And as he gives you this new field, he wants to start to plant seeds and nourish and do things inside of you that's going to show you exactly who you are. <clears throat> The only thing on the planet that can train, teach, love, care for, rebuke, align, garden, or keep your heart in check is the Word of God. You may have to wrestle with that for a second. The Word of God alone has the capacity to do all those things in your heart, alone. Love science, love human philosophies, love social science, love all of that. It's all fun, neat to learn, great nuggets of stuff. I, I'm a trained Gallup certified strengths coach. That's all under the umbrella of positive psychology. Love reading about positive psychology. Stuff is fun. It's neat to learn about people. If you've done Strengths Finder, I think it's kind of a, a culture here at Asbury. All that stuff. You give me your top five themes, I'll start reading your mail. I love all that stuff. It's fun. But it ain't the Word of God, and it's not going to be able to cultivate your heart like the Word of God can, period. It can help. It can give you some concepts and some nuggets. It's great. The Lord, good science will confirm the Scriptures. Good science will confirm the Scriptures. If the Word of God and His ways are not in your heart, then you should expect chaos. You should expect dysfunction. You should expect confusion and misunderstandings in your life, in life in general. You should expect it. Because the, the way God has designed us is that his word is the foundation of our existence. He spoke it all into existence. Everything that you see is reality. It came from his word. And so just like how we're of the earth and we eat from the earth, it's like his word is the very essence of your being. And your heart is designed to be cultivated, trained, coached, taught, loved by the word of God. The word of God is the only thing. Let me see. Let me show you with you how some men of the past have said it. I'm, and I've got to land this plane. I'm running out of time. And I'm maybe over time. Sorry if I am. I'm trying to be done. Um, is that Jesus said he was quoting Moses. He said this way. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
You've heard that, yeah? David said it this way, Psalm 119, how does a young person keep their way pure, living according to God's word? He also says, I've hidden your word in my heart so I don't sin against you, David talking. The Apostle Paul, speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, says, you know, all scripture, son, is God-breathed. It's all God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the writer of Hebrews says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword to the dividing of soul. Y'all know these scriptures, right? Soul and spirit, joint and marrow, um, um, the, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. If you don't know those scriptures, it's okay. You'll know them eventually. Because my hope today is that, that um, you'll start finding yourself loving the word of God. Though you may, I don't know if speakers of the past, and I may be doing it, have assumed that you know the Scriptures. I'm not assuming you know the Scriptures. I'm not assuming that you've disciplined yourself in the Word of God. I'm not going to assume that because not everybody's, you know, we, we, we do Christian activities, but the habits of letting the Word of God be the trainer of our hearts, many Christians don't do that. And so I'm not going to assume that. I'm speaking the Word to you. My hope is that a hunger is being invoked inside of you to say, you know what? I need wisdom from the Father through the Word of God more than ever before. And God said it in his own words, is not my word like a fire? And is not my word like a hammer that breaks up rocks into pieces? In other words, the word of God is the most powerful entity on the planet. So here's where I land the plane. The way we allow God's word into our heart is as such. First of all, we need to recognize that each one of us, every single human being needs a heart transplant. Every single one of us. And the heart transplant in my word picture is a new field, a new garden. Every single one of us needs a new garden. We need to allow God to plant and cultivate and empower us to grow things in our heart that couldn't and wouldn't grow before because we had dysfunction and wickedness and we had a deceitful heart. So through a heart plant, but once we get the heart transplant, for those, go study this on your own. Go study heart transplants. It's interesting, the whole process of what happened to heart transplants from they first did it with an animal heart. That person lived for about 18, um, they didn't live for a long time. It's like, I think it's like 18 days they lived. They transplanted an animal heart to a human heart. And this was a South African doctor, I believe, who did that. And then over the course of time, they extended it. And I think the world record now is 34 years a person has lived off a heart transplant. But what's interesting, they need to take a certain kind of chemical because the body wants to reject the new heart. Um, um, oh, I'm forgetting the name of it. But there's a certain type of chemical uh, medicine that they've got to take for the rest of their lives so that the body immunosuppressant. They've got to take an immunosuppressant because the immune system is trying to kill this, bat, this new heart. Well, consider the Word of God almost like an immunosuppressant. If you kind of get this new heart and you don't let this word, the Word of God be the immunosuppressant that sort of says, flesh, old self, don't try to kill off the new self, because your flesh is going to, your human nature that's sinful is in contrast to the new heart. And so the Word of God is the thing that sustains you and buffers that flesh from saying, don't kill off the new heart. It's, this is good. This is life-giving. So you have to have your immunosuppressant medicines <clears throat> to keep your um, immune system from killing off the new heart. You actually have something good inside of you that's keeping you alive, but your flesh is trying to kill it off. There's contrast. Scripture talks about the flesh is contrary to the spirit. The flesh and the spirit, they, they, they battle each other. So our immunosuppressant, if you bear with my word picture, is the word of God. So we've got to recognize we need a heart transplant. The second thing is we have to embrace the gospel message. And understanding and embrace the gospel message. Super quick, God created order, man destroyed the order by welcoming sin, and our fundamental human problem is sin. God pursued humanity and he fixed it. 
And then we, God wants us to be like him again. That's the way he designed us. He designed us to be like him. And so he had to die for us and he had to fix it. He offered us the opportunity to become like him again. Last couple things here. To learn and love God's ways. That's a process. We have to let God's word be higher and more important than humans' words. We've got to let the word of God, we have to love the word of God, learning how to live by the word of God, study the word of God, speak the word of God, cherish the word of God, let the word of God wash us clean. So all I'm asking you today is to consider what I just shared with you today. <clears throat> just consider. <clears throat> Some of you want to say consider the, what, what I just shared today is that, um, it was that when you consider what, what's, what's being shared today, is that I'm asking you to, uh, if you have not received a new heart, um, to let God give you a new heart. If you want your whole life transformed, embrace the gospel. Learn to live according to his ways. If you want habits that will keep you wise and understanding, read the scriptures. Let the word of God saturate your heart. If you want a holistic life, a holistic way approach to life, let the Holy Spirit be the one who teaches you to hear the heart of the Father. If you want to be different, distinct, or set apart, if you want to be God's useful vessel, choose to renew your mind with the word of God. If you want to be formed into his likeness and his image, repent and put to death those things of your sinful nature. Honor and love the word of God. Love your brethren and choose this day to serve the Lord with everything you have. Here's my last slide. It's a matter of time. The Lord will meet you right where you are. For some of you, this is speaking to you. And I'm hoping, again, wake up. If you're, I know you're tired. I, 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 I understand. Is there anyone? And, and uh, don't respond to me just yet, but I want you to think about these questions. Is there anyone who desires to be different today? Is there anyone who's looking for a change? Is there anyone who would say in their heart, I need help from the Lord to do what you're talking about, Conrad. Is there anyone today who would say, I need a heart transplant? Four questions I just kind of put there. So if my questions apply to you, I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to pray for you. I'm just going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask you to be bold and not worry about any one of your schoolmates looking at you right now. Because it really doesn't matter to them what they think. It really doesn't. Because they ain't, they, I'll put it like this, they ain't God. It don't matter. It really doesn't matter. This is between you and the Lord. I'm simply being a vessel that assists you in coming to know the Father better and deeper. So if that's anyone, I'm just asking you to stand. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you want to come talk to me afterwards, I'll be here in the corner. But is, there, is that response, does this respond to resonate with anybody? Did you say, yeah, I need a new garden. I need something to change in my heart. If that's anybody, would you stand for me? Anyone. Don't be ashamed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't be ashamed of that. No, it's not a shame. I'm very proud of you. Very, very proud of you. Um, this is not going to be a long ministry time. I'm just going to pray quickly. If you need to talk to me, you come talk to me. Um, thank you. Thank you. Because the reality is, is you're standing. You're standing before the Lord. And you're, he's taking this more seriously than you are, quite frankly, because he knows what he put inside of you. He's a gardener and he's functional. So if he planted a seed inside of you, he's expecting a fruit. So, Father, I'm blessing these. I'm blessing those, and even those that haven't stand. Lord, I'm blessing these. I'm asking you to do a work in them that's very, very powerful. You are the faithful one. You have sustained us all. So I'm asking you to sustain these, that, Lord, you're wanting to plant a new, fresh garden in their hearts, and you're wanting to do things that only you can do. Lord, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift up your countenance towards them and grant them your shalom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.